Welcome to the Bloom Podcast, Human Stories of Resilience. And I'd like to begin by acknowledging the traditional custodians of the land on which we're recording today and paying my respects to their elders past and present. I extend that respect to Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples who might be listening. Hey, Susie. Hey, Steve. Got someone I'd like you to meet. Let's go and meet Megan. So, Megan, welcome to the Bloom Podcast. Thank you for having me. Great to have you here. Tell us just a little bit about yourself. I'm a mother of two boys. I live in eastern suburbs of Melbourne, but I'm a country girl. I grew up uh, in a small town called Painesville. I uh, started on a farm and then moved to Painesville when I was 13. Moved to the Big Smoke, Melbourne, when I was 18 and did dental nursing for a while, practice manager, and then moved to Hong Kong where I lived for seven years and came back in 2017 as a kinesiologist. I studied over there and and now I work for myself. Sounds like a case of sort of serial reinvention. Yes. What is kinesiology? I like to liken it to a stress management modality. Stress gets trapped in your body and causes a symptom. We tend to ignore our symptoms. We get a migraine. What does a migraine do? Sends you to bed, dark room puts you to sleep because it's the only way you can feel better. But a migraine usually happens after a really stressful event uh, or, or a deadline that's just finished or something. So my job as a kinesiologist is to work out where the stress, why the stress is there and diffuse it or dissolve the stress so that your body can function as it as it should. A bit like hypno, I suppose, um, Steve, you're a hypnotherapist. So mm. we're a bit similar in the way we work with people's stresses. And neuroenergetic kinesiology, which is the style I do, is very, very linked to the brain. Neuroenergetic kinesiology is energy medicine and really working with um, diffusing stress in the brain so that the body can heal and repair itself. I don't heal anyone. I just remove stress so they their body can heal. It's taking all of my willpower to bite my tongue not to want to turn this episode into a a discussion about that, because that sounds fascinating. Instead, I will say this, Megan, Susie and I asked around for people who might have a moment that I knew, and you stuck your hand up. What I didn't say in my About Me story was that I was born with a cleft lip and palate back in the 70s. A cleft lip and palate is basically when in utero the face doesn't join up properly around the palate and the lips area, can go up into the nose. So I had all my repairs done as everyone when you're young, like babies. For me, I had my lip repaired when I was about, I think I was about 12 months or 17 months old and or maybe my palate was my 17 months old. But these days, It's done babies and then all repaired by before one. And Susie put a uh, a notice in the Cleft Pals um, support page. And Cleft Pals is a not-for-profit charitable organisation where we support families who are bringing these babies into the world with, with a cleft. And we fundraise and to support the families with feeding bottles, support and information. And then for uh, teenagers, uh, when they're coming up to bone grafts and things like that, the latest thing that Cleft Pals are doing is a care pack for the teenagers uh, so they've got something to take to to the hospital to entertain them as well as information about what to expect. So I'm on the committee for that. 
and the moment that I knew. I joined Cleft Pals and we are predominantly females on the committee. There is a couple of men and I got to know these ladies quite well. Back in the day when we could meet up, we'd have our meetings in person and I met one particular lady and we, she owned her own business and I had a female women in business networking event and I invited her. I said, well, why don't we go together? And so we were at this event. She and I were standing talking and someone come over and said, oh, what do you guys do? So I, I said to my friend, you can go first. So she was telling about her business and what she did. And then the next thing she lurches into, oh, and I'm the vice president of Cliff Pals, which is a not-for-profit charity, da 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 And I was having almost to the point of a panic attack. I'm like, we're here for women in business. We're not here for Cliff Pals right now. And I was caught off guard. I didn't want to talk about it. And up until that point, I felt like I was defined by my cleft. And having my own son born with a cleft, it was something that I just, I didn't want to talk about. It wasn't the environment. And I guess I was a bit blindsided. So I sat there quietly going, holy hell, what am I going to do? I don't want to talk about this. When it's my turn, I'm not going to talk about it. It's not obvious. I don't think it's obvious. I, Unless I'm asked, I'm not going to talk about it. So I resolved in myself, didn't hear a word my friend said. And then the lady looked at me and said, oh, what do you do? And so I told her about my business and I let it go. That was it. Then I was driving home after the event, still reeling from that experience. And and I know from my professional experiences, you, uh, when you have an emotion come up, don't try and squash it down, try and sit with it and understand it. And so I'm like, why, why was I having a panic attack? Why was I, I mean, I didn't actually have a panic attack, but I was on the verge of it. Why am I feeling like this? What's going on? And having grown up in a small country town and being always, you know, I had to drive three hours every month for my braces appointments, you know, um, three hours is where Melbourne was for us. All my family friends all knew, oh, Megan with her cleft and her operations and where you up to it. And it was always questions all the time growing up. Where are you at with it? What, what's next? Because it is quite a long journey. I just didn't want to always be defined by being a cleft lip and palate because it's not a disability. It's just a, a gap in the face that needs repair, boom, just hated. I resented it, I suppose. So here I am at this meeting and suddenly I'm faced with having to deal with having to talk about something that I don't want to talk about. Anyway, so on my on my car ride home, I realised this is bigger than me. Get out of your egoness. Like, you know, you're here to spread the word you know cleft lip and palate is one in 700 worldwide why do you feel like I mean this was the moment in the car driving home was the moment I knew that being a cleft lip and palate affected individual is not about me it's about spreading awareness building awareness to people that it's not a disability it literally is uh, a hole in the roof of the mouth and the lip Yes, you might have some indicative facial features, you know, the wider nose and you have the scar on the lip, but you know what? Some people have big ears or a big lip or a big eyebrows or, you know, everyone's got something that identifies them. So why why make this bigger than it needs to be and let's spread the word? And, and so now I'm fine talking about it and... <laughs> 
for you, that moment was about a realization that it's not about you. It's about information. It's about education. Correct. It's not about, it's not that I am being judged for being cleft. I'm being judged for having to go through this. I know from listening to your podcast, I'm going to say the word journey, um, but in, <laughs> I, I hear that joke throughout all your podcasts, but it is a freaking long journey. You know, it starts when you're born and it doesn't end until after puberty. You have operations throughout that whole time. And for me, I didn't want to be defined by that. Like, yeah, okay, I went through all of that. And now I have to relive that through my son. And I'm telling you, it's not easy. But it's not, it's more than that. Like, let's build the awareness and have people realize that, you know, we are resilient people and it's not a disability. That's a big thing, I think, is a misconception if you look different or sound different. Because a lot of cleft people have difficulty speaking if their cleft isn't repaired properly. Like, there's a transition between different operations. And speech therapy is something that we all had to go through. If you sound different or you look different, people automatically think that you're maybe a little bit mentally challenged or impaired, and it's not true. It is just a a facial deformity that you can move past and and be successful. Megan, can I suggest Cleft Pals needs to change its slogan? If its current slogan is (laughs) Cleft, it's not a disability. Yeah. <laughs> I think it needs changing. <laughs> well, it's not. Um, it's actually the sharing helps, uh, which is a nice one because I think when we all help each other, it makes life easier for, you know, problem shared is a problem halved. So that is its slogan. But, yeah, I mean, maybe I'm projecting. Maybe that isn't the perception of, of how we look and sound. It could be for some. There's a little bit of the old um, don't think of a white polar bear about it, I think, if you're, yeah. you're telling people what it's not. Has it changed a lot since, as far as you can tell, from when you were growing oh, up? Oh, hell yes. Yeah, so my son's 13 now, and when he was 11 or 12, he had his bone graft. Bone graft is where they take bone from either your hip or your knee and plug the gap. Up until that operation, my son had his hard palate closed but the very very front of his hard palate right behind his front two teeth was open back in my day or before me actually they were closed the whole palate but then puberty happened and you grow and you get a pushed in look of the face and so the current practices is that you leave that open until around about 13 or so, uh, or between 10 or 13, and then you plug that with bone and then it will grow for puberty. When he had his operation, I was really worried and I was preparing him, you know, this is going to be sore, but it's only going to be sore for a few days and you'll be fine. And my experience back in 80-something was a week in hospital, on crutches, I had a drain from my hip, it wasn't very pleasant. And for my son, he was walking to the bathroom hours after it. He had a pain buster, they call it, which is a ball of painkillers that is through a drain direct to the hip site. He didn't feel that. He could walk on his hip. He was fine. He was eating not very much straight away, but the next day he he was eating more and, and he was back at school within a week. I wasn't even out of hospital in a week. So, yes. Things have changed. You mentioned the the perception that is both shocking and familiar 
I think, that there are people who think that if you look different or you sound different, it's there's there's intellectual disability as well, um, that the two go together. What does your son experience? Do you know? Does he does he get the bullying? Does he not yet? I think boys are different to girls. Girls tend to have a different dynamic to boys. He gets asked the odd question here and there, but no, he hasn't, thank goodness, he hasn't had the bullying that I've had. He's only year eight. For me, it happened really in year nine onwards, but I don't know. I think boys are just different. So I hope I don't know too many um teenage females to be able to compare. When did you discover, tell us about the moment you discovered your son's cliff? While I was pregnant, it was important to me that I didn't know the sex. I wanted that surprise at the end of it. I wanted the gender reveal to happen in the moment. I did not want to know. So for all of my appointments for both pregnancies, I said, don't tell me the gender. I just want to know if they're cleft. I wanted to be prepared. I wanted to have the bottles and I really wanted to breastfeed. I went to breastfeeding schools and classes and all this stuff leading up to my first child who was cleft. Everyone was very respectful and didn't tell me about the gender. So that was a lovely surprise, but they didn't tell me about the cleft. I was really angry. I wrote many a letter that got burnt. I never sent any of them. I looked back at his, um, there was no 4D scans back then. This was 2007 and I had him in Melbourne, but I never had the opportunity of a 4D scan. I think that would have shown it. I can see the cleft on the little picture now that I know what I'm looking for. So it, it really sort of bothered me at the time that the radiographer didn't tell me when I was very clear that I wanted to know. So, yeah, so the moment I knew was a very obvious one. It was right after the last push. I mean, I've met parents who found out when they're during the pregnancy and parents who found out at birth. And I think, and my experience was I, I was told my son was going to be born with cleft at our 20-week scan. Honestly, I think it's crap either way because as you know Megan cleft comes with all these well maybe it's not just cleft now we need to check for this that or the other now we need to all of that so for me it made a crappy second half of my pregnancy but at least I didn't get the uh the day of of his birth I didn't have an extra thing on top of it you know surprise <laughs> yeah so and I've, I've met people who've families where it's gone either way and I think both ways it's it's pretty shitty I'm sorry that you had that experience that they weren't yeah when I was pregnant with my my second child because my first child had cleft they sent me off for a higher level scan and all this sort of thing yeah that that feels like the medical professionals let you down yeah you can't always see it, but where you're looking for it, you should be you should be able to find it, I think. Yeah. And with my second, I had an amniocentesis and I think it was just they went into overdrive. I just wanted to be prepared. And thank God for Cleft Powers back then too. I remember Phoebe, don't know her last name, but she was the feeding coordinator, the feeding support coordinator. Bless her. She came in um, with bottles. And this was before the current uh, fundraising that we do. We every, every doesn't matter what your status. A financial member of Clef Powers or not, every family that gets a diagnosis or uh, delivers a Clef baby will get a feeding pack from Clef Powers. And it has two different types of feeders, a little teddy, actually I can show you, I've got one here, a little teddy with a cleft and some information. 
So they all get all of that. But back in my day, nothing. And without Phoebe dropping by, honestly, it was a blur. I don't, my husband took over a little bit with all the paperwork and stuff, but I am indebted to Clef Powers to be there for me then. There's nothing more devastating really than when your brand new baby has a problem, even when it's something that you know about and you know it's fixable. And But it, it just, yeah, it's, it's yeah. rough. So the support group plays such an important role. And in my day as well, there was no um, lovely Teddy and all the rest of it, mm. but but just knowing that there were people you could talk to and people who would help. Um, yeah. I should probably say we're talking about bottles and breastfeeding and all of that because um, for those who don't know, when a baby's born with a cleft, the feeding is uh, more challenging than with a, a typical baby. They can't suck. Yeah, there's no suction. My day, mum had a spoon. So it was a bottle attached to a massive spoon and she would have to squeeze the milk out onto the spoon and then sort of tip it into my mouth. Super windy. Like apparently I cried and cried and cried because of the wind that that created. And now with the Haberman and the Browns and the Dr. Browns or whatever, there's so many different bottles. My son had the Haberman and he woofed his food down and there was no wind. So it was really a different experience. It's it's lovely. I think we're... Um where mothers have a real investment in breastfeeding, it can often be a cause of extra trauma because breastfeeding almost never works with a cleft baby because there's no suction. If they've got a cleft lip only and no cleft palate, then breastfeeding is achievable. You just they, A lot of mums just plug the, the lip hole with their finger. Um, so that's been achieved. But, yeah, if you've got a cleft palate, good luck. It's not going to happen. <laughs> feel a bit bad that we make people relive their <laughs> yes. trauma in this way. <laughs> um, but there it is. Um, and uh, if we're going to do that to someone who's yes. better than a kinesiologist who can then <laughs> go and yeah. go and manage that. I'm just yeah. trying to think of a suit. Sorry, Megan, because it was that particular question that I asked that uh, you were holding it together until then, so I'm sorry about that. Yeah, yeah, that's all right. That always gets me over the edge. I've got another story I can tell about um, when Fergus was born. The team said, do you have an idea of who you would like to use for uh, the repair? Uh, it was hours after and maybe they asked me because I'm cleft and I mentioned that and they thought I might have an idea. But fortunately for me, I knew of Tony Holmes, who he's retired now, but at the time he was leading worldwide facial plastic surgeon and they called him and I'll never forget it. He came on that night. So I'd had him at 12 midday something and about eight or nine o'clock at night he arrived and it turned out it was his birthday. So they shared the same birthday. Oh, my goodness. So that was really sweet. And he came on his birthday. (laughs) That's brought tears to my eyes. The day that my son was born, the surgeon from Children's, um, popped round and held held him up to the light in his little package, you know, went, went, yeah, looks good, I can fix that, no problems. The medical profession have been amazing for for my son and the, the help that they've given us. Yeah, definitely. And, I, and all the way along, um, we've gone through the Royal Children's Hospital as well. Monash is excellent as well. There's no real difference between them. And I just, yeah, I just can't. They're just so skilled and, and uh, yeah, 
can't say enough about the help that you can get. But yeah, so David um, Chong has taken over Fergus's treatment. Uh, so we'll be doing things with him. And he's another leading surgeon and a real treasure. He's very lovely. So what would you say to your to your younger self? I had a call from a young adult or late teenager wanting to talk about where she could go to get touch-up surgery for her face. And I honestly probably was in this basket if I was her age as well back in the day. I had a long conversation with her. She was gorgeous. She didn't need anything else. My advice to myself to answer your question, Susie, and to any teenager out there who is struggling with the way they look, I'm going to cry. Take a deep breath. It's all good. Is you are enough. You are enough. Now I'm going to cry too. Steve, there's two of us. Help. (laughs) Um, I'll just get my stuff together. But it doesn't matter what you look like. The surgeon, we've just ascertained the surgeons that we all have these days are awesome. They're going to get you to a point where you look and, and speak perfectly. It took me a lot of years and possibly with the tears now, it appears that I'm not like, I'm not there, but I am, is that I do love myself for for how I look. And I can work with my clients and say to myself, my younger self and to this girl that I had a conversation with is no amount of surgery or surgeons can help you love you. That has to come from within you. And everyone has a quirk, but if you are putting things external to yourself, then you're never going to be able to love yourself. If you love yourself first, then you will only attract love from others. And to just accept everything about yourself and how you get there, maybe you see a kinesiologist or a hypnotherapist or or a counsellor or a psychologist, but whatever you need to do, but you define who you are. No one can define that for yourself. That's beautiful because you are enough. Yeah. <laughs> you are enough, Megan. Thank you. Thank you so much. It's been remarkable. <laughs> and I'm sorry we made you cry. Ah, oh, it's funny. Anyone who's listening to this who knows me, I cry. It's a stress release for me. <laughs> So uh, it's embarrassing, but also it is a sign of strength, I think, crying. So um, I, I own it. <laughs> so thank you. Love it. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me, guys. <laughs> a note for everyone listening to that rather moving and emotional interview. I would like to say that no Megans were harmed during the recording of this podcast. She's fine. Not only not harmed, but hopefully Megan's everywhere felt supported and assisted and and listened to and heard through the making of this podcast. I think that's part of what podcasts in general do is provide that commonality of experience. They let people reach each other who wouldn't otherwise. And it's worth calling out, actually, that the other place that that happens is support groups. We've talked a lot about Cleft in this episode. And I really will give a shout out to Clef Powell, so the uh, the Australian support group available in a capital city near you. 
and also on Facebook. And in the UK, of course, it's uh, Clapper. C-L-A-P-A is the is the equivalent organisation. Uh, support groups, I, I mean, I love support groups for meeting up with people who are having that same experience and just letting a person debrief against it. Yeah, absolutely. You don't have to do this alone. You don't. I hope that that was not too full on an episode for our listeners. If there's anyone who's made it this far, thank you very much. If it's brought up any issues or anything like that, tell your best friend, tell your support group, drop us an email. We'd love to hear from you. Absolutely.